supposed to make it easy. There we go. All right, so today's going to be a little bit different than, uh, than most Sundays. Uh, we canceled last week because we had a massive amount of snow. and um, It looked in the morning last time like we could get here, but I was wondering, you know, would we have to stay here? I wasn't sure people were going to be able to leave. And so I, have, I still have in my back pocket the, the next message on the series on grace that I still want to share. And, and we had finished up our 40 days of prayer and fasting, and I have some insights I want to share on that as well. But if, if you're okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that till next week. And, I'm going to share some, some other things today. Um, if you would allow me some personal indulgence. Uh, a dear friend, a mentor, spiritual leader in the church for many years, uh, passed away uh, this week. Uh, John Paul Jackson uh, passed away on Wednesday, February 18th, somewhere between 11 and 11.20. I don't have the exact time. He died peacefully at home surrounded by family and close friends and he had a he struggled with a about a year long maybe less than a year long battle with cancer he had he had cancer in his um uh, he had a tumor in his thigh and uh some months back he had surgery they removed a 12 pound tumor from his leg and uh it was it was really serious it was a very aggressive fast growing tumor it was at one point they thought maybe they'd have to take his leg uh, it was grown so much but um, he had very aggressive surgery, but recovered remarkably well. John Paul was um, just a specimen of physical health before this, the cancer in his leg. I don't know, he was running like five miles a day and, you know, lifting weights. He was in vastly better shape than I am, than I ever was. And I think in, in my teens, I wasn't probably in as good a shape as, as he was in. And so he had a surgery and then recovered well after the surgery, not long after it, I mean, within maybe a couple of months after surgery, he was walking two miles a day and picked up most of his schedule in ministry. He, he'd had a television program on Daystar called, uh, I think, Dreams and Mysteries, I think it was called. And um, he returned, he shot a whole other season of that. And then in November, uh, it went to his lungs. And he'd really struggled with his breathing until, uh, until Tuesday, uh, Wednesday rather. Maybe it was on Monday, I was getting emails and messages that you know, things had really gone bad and they were asking for an urgent prayer request. And, and then the same thing on, on uh, Tuesday. Tuesday night, I was getting messages from friends saying, we don't think he's going to make it. And then we got the news on Wednesday that he had passed. So if you would indulge me today, instead of preaching a normal sermon, be okay if I just told some stories. Can I just take some time this morning and just tell some John Paul Jackson stories. I'd like to, I'd like to remember him today. I'd like to, to honor him today. And maybe he's going to help me do that. So I want to start with a scripture verse from 1 Corinthians 15. When I first heard that he died, I knew before it became public knowledge. And so we weren't allowed to... We want to get the family time to deal with it the way that they want to deal with it appropriately. But I knew that he had passed. And so I put up the scripture verse on Facebook from 1 Corinthians 15. 51 to 55, it says, Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable shall clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal, mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So I thank you for your word today. Let me thank you for the life of John Paul Jackson. We just bless this time we have uh, together. So I just want to share a couple of pictures. There's, there's a few. The first one is John Paul and his lovely wife, Diane. Keep her in your prayers. As you can well imagine, this has got to be a really difficult, extraordinarily painful time. My understanding is um, this morning probably, you know, by the time we're done with church, they're going to be having a private memorial service for him today. and There'll be a public memorial service in March, and it'll probably 
either be live streamed or somehow available online. I'm sure there'll be lots of people very close to John Paul who will tell lots of wonderful stories that day. So that's, that's Diane, uh, that's John Paul and his lovely wife Diane. There's another nice picture of John Paul Jackson. That's from his television program. Handsome man, wouldn't you say? And then, uh, yeah. And then, and then one more. This one says, in loving memory. Maybe we'll leave that one up for a while. Um, this church, we may not exist if it were not for John Paul Jackson. Um, when, uh, when Nadine and I came and visited, we were uh, being interviewed by the search committee. Uh, we'd spent the weekend here, and uh, we were at the Simmons house, uh, the final night uh, of our time being here, and uh, we got to meet uh, Brian and Donna Metzka for the first time. And so we're, this the whole search committee went down into, went down into the basement at, uh, at Wayne and Natalie's house to, well, basically to vote, to decide on whether or not they want us to come. And, and so it was a little bit awkward. We're upstairs with Brian and Donna. We'd never really met them before. Now the four of us are alone together. And, and uh, Brian tells the story of how um, he was in Summerside, and I guess John Paul Jackson had either come to town prior to that, and, and then they had spent some time together, Andrew and Brian and John Paul. And um, at, at that meeting, John Paul prophesied to Brian that he's to, that he's to plant church. Isn't that interesting? And, uh, and that kind of helped get the ball rolling. It was a piece of a larger puzzle, but it helped get the process going. And I think gave, you know, probably gave Brian the extra little oomph he needed to say, yeah, you know, let's absolutely do this. So isn't it interesting that John Paul Jackson had a role to play in what's happened here? I know he came and visited the island. Many of you had told me stories, and it was a pretty powerful time. It was before that, before Brian had told me that, I, um, I never knew that there was a, that John Paul Jackson had a connection to, to Prince Edward Island. So we were surprised uh, by that. I just, I just have scribbled myself uh, some, some notes saying, tell this story, tell that story. I was thinking about the very first time we ever saw John Paul. Um, we, were in, um, we were back in New York, mm-hmm. right? And it's probably in the late 80s or early 90s. And uh, the vineyard was on Long Island, not far from where we lived. And, and they were hosting all these awesome conferences. And, and so this is about the time when the Kansas City Prophets... Uh, got connected with the vineyard, if any of you guys have been around long enough to remember that. And so John Wimber came to town on Long Island at the Vineyard Church there. Actually, they, we were meeting in this movie theater for the, for the weekend, and um, it was so awesome. This church had purchased this movie theater because they'd outgrown their facilities, and the movie theater used to be, they used to show pornographic movies there. And I was like, I oh, it's so awesome that they, they redeemed that place and, and turned it into a church. So this is where we're having our conference. And John, uh, and John Wimber was there, and he, he brought some of the, the Kansas City guys with him. And John Paul Jackson was one of the... He had Kansas. dark hair. He wasn't, you know... It wasn't all white hair like this. It was dark hair. We were in the nosebleed seats. Oh, yeah, we were up on the balcony. Yeah. And, uh, but from the stage, I remember at one point, I felt like he was looking right through me. <laughs> and the only thing that went through my head at that point was, they call me boss. They call me boss. <laughs> <laughs> they call me boss. <laughs> but he wasn't looking right at me. He, if, if you ever met John Paul, he had these most amazing eyes. There's these piercing blue, like electric blue eyes. And he had these... He kind of had these eyebrows that kind of stuck out a little bit. So he kind of tilt his head down like this and look at you. Man, you think he's looking right through you. It was just, it was, it was an experience. I did tell him that story, you know. Years later. Years later when we actually met him. He thought it was funny too. She'll come a little closer to me. She, she My next exposure to John, Wim- uh, to John Paul Jackson would be a few years later. Um, we, were, we were in uh, West Virginia. We were church planting. And, um, and a good friend uh, who was really into prophetic ministry um, had a six cassette tapes. This tells you how long ago it was, right? Had this six cassette tape set of John Paul teaching on dreams and visions. And she said, would you like to listen to these? I said, oh, yeah, that would be great. And I'd never met John Paul. I'd heard of him and, you know, from the earlier experience, but I'd never met him. I listened to those tapes again and again and again. I remember listening to one time, he said, well, there's, there's 
spiritual significance to numbers. I'm like, oh, come on, man. It could be, how could there be any spiritual significance to numbers? Little would I know that all these years later how much I embrace this stuff. And then one, one of the cassette tapes were on color. And he's teaching about the significance of color. And it was going so far over my head. I listened to that cassette again and again and again. And to this day, I'm not sure I quite fully get what he was trying to say about color. But other than the fact that, that they were significant. So how do we personally connect uh, with John Paul? We moved from West Virginia to Washington, and we're pastoring a vineyard church, the Tri-Cities Vineyard Christian Fellowship in Kennewick, Washington. I've been there about six months, and, um, and, uh, and things, are, things are going fairly well. You know, some of the struggles that go on with the, you know, the changes associated to a new pastor coming to town, and, but things are going pretty well. And I decided at the end of that six months, it was, it was around Christmas time, that, you know what, I'm going to go on a three-day retreat, and I'm going to seek God. And Lord, tell me what you want to, what do you want to do next year with this church? Tell me what the future is. And so I did. I, matter of fact, in, in the years to come, I would go back to that retreat house many, many times. But, but this was the first time I went there. There was a Catholic retreat house, immaculate something, immaculate hot retreat house, I think, in, in the Spokane, Washington area. And, um, and so while I was there, I felt God speak to me. Now, it wasn't the audible voice of God uh, you know, an angel didn't appear, a golden fax didn't float down from heaven. It was that still small voice. It was just God speaking inside to Tom's heart. But it sounded like him to me. You know what I mean? And, and he told me, I remember there were two main things he said to me that year. He told me as we move forward into that next year that the, that the, the key word for that year was character. I was like, well, okay, that's interesting. And um, I would spend the, most of that year preaching on the fruit of the Spirit as they as they uh, demonstrate the nature and character of God. I, I would take one of the fruit listed in Galatians 5 each month for the first nine months. Um, so so my, uh, my desire to do long extended series, this is something I've carried for a long time. It's not something that's new to, to my time here. But the other thing God told me, he told me to invite three prophets to our church. And he told me they were Larry Randolph and John Paul Jackson and Paul Kane. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, God, that sounds like you. Now, I didn't know any of these guys. I'd gone to conferences. Like Nadine said, we, we saw them from the nosebleed section, you know, hundreds rows back or whatever. But I didn't know any of them. But God said to invite them, and it really sounded like him. So I remember going home from that personal retreat, and honestly, in more obedience than faith, I, I just I figured they had to have websites with email addresses, and I found contact information. And I wrote each one of them. And I basically wrote this. Hey, God said to invite you to come here. Why don't you pray? And if he says yes to you, then let's see if we can work something out. And, um, and so six months later, Larry Randolph came. I was like, wow, this is, wow, God, that must have really been you. Um, I had gotten a pretty immediate response from somebody in John Paul's office. And they told me that he wasn't taking any new bookings for two years. He was all booked up for two years. And I remember being really fine with that. I'm like, God, if, if you said to invite him to come and he's going to come, then you'll make it happen. I mean, the, we were, we were at a small vineyard church in this out-of-the-way place. I, there was nothing to draw him in. It wasn't, you know, it had to be God. And, um, and then the other was uh, Paul Kane, and I haven't heard from Paul Kane to this day. But... Those are the three names that God gave me. And so, so that personal retreat, that was December 2001. June 2002 is when Larry Randolph came for the first time. And then in April of 2003, we had a guy by the name of Doug Addison come. Maybe some of you guys know who Doug Addison is. But Doug was on staff with John Paul. God had told me to invite John Paul, and, and Larry had come. And after Larry came, like six months later, we had this huge conference with Larry Randolph and Bob Jones and Bobby Connor and Paul Keith Davis and, and Don Potter did the worship. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And so um, we went from this little vineyard church in town to suddenly being the prophetic church in town because all it was God. It had nothing to do with me. It was just the grace of God. All these prophetic people started coming to this town that was really out of the way. And so I, I remember feeling pretty excited about you know, that event. And I go online, I go to Stream's website, let's see what John Paul's up to. And, and right on the main page on the website came up, there's this little box in the corner. And, um, 
and it, it said, if you would like to have a prophetic evangelism workshop, contact Doug Addison. Doug Addison was on staff at Streams. Now, when, when God started doing all this prophetic stuff at our church at Kennewick, I remember thinking to myself, I've kind of been there and done that before. I know what it's like to have the gifts of the Spirit become such a central part of, of church life. And I remember saying to myself as I'm watching all of this kind of stir up again, that if we're going to embrace the gifts, I really want to do it this way. I want it to have an outward focus. It seemed to me that the gifts became less healthy when it was an internal focus exclusively to the church, but it seemed, in my estimation, to be much more healthy with an external focus. And so I've been sharing that with people in our church because we had all these prophetic people come. And so when I'm on, on the stream's website and I see this, this little box that says, if you want to have a prophetic evangelism workshop, I'm thinking to myself, I don't really sure what prophetic evangelism is, but it sounds like taking the gifts outside the four walls of the church. And get this, I knew Doug Addison. Before we got to the church in Washington, when we were still in West Virginia, Doug was in Kent, Ohio, a vineyard church in Kent, and he was looking for someone to replace him. And Doug was ready to hire me, and I wanted the job. I really wanted to go there. So we had contacted and connected really, really well, and at the last minute, I felt like God telling me I wasn't the right guy for the job. Oh, it just broke my heart. But it was a real test of my, my obedience. And so I remember speaking with Doug at that time and, and saying, you know, um, boy, I really wanted to do this, but I really feel like God's saying no, and you know, I'm really sorry. So fast forward, we're in Washington. I see this thing. I'm thinking, how many Doug Addisons could there be? It's got to be the same guy. And so I write to him. They had a link to an email for Doug. I say, hey, Doug, not sure if you remember me. We met a few years ago. This is what God's doing here. Here's all these prophetic people who came. I would love for you to come and do a prophetic evangelism workshop for us. Doug writes me back right away. He says, of course I remember who you are. He says, some of the people at the church you're pastoring now are friends of mine. They contacted me when they heard about you, and I told them, make sure you hire him. Don't let this guy get away. Isn't God amazing? The connections he made across the country. I was like, that's unbelievable. So Doug comes and it's April 2003. And uh, he, does a, he does a weekend event, training event for us. I remember the last night of worship that we had, it rocked the house. The whole building, we were in this old church building. And it was never meant for this type of aerobic worship that was going on. It was unbelievable. The, I mean, you could feel the floorboards doing this as people are... Uh, pogoing up and down in worship. It was unbelievable. It was so powerful. Well, before Doug leaves, we have, a, we have spent some time alone together, and he tells me this. He tells me we're a vineyard church at this point, right? And he tells me this story about John Paul Jackson and John Wimber. He said when John Wimber was on his deathbed, he said there were, there were only three non-family members that they allowed in to see John Wimber before he died. And those three were Larry Randolph, John Paul Jackson and Paul Kane. The very same three names God had spoken to me about. When Doug told me that, it was like you hit me in the face with a baseball bat. It just blew me away. It's like, are you kidding me? I said, I said Doug, I got to tell you, these are the three people God told me to invite to come here. It was such an incredible confirmation to me. And years later, John Paul would tell the story from his perspective, how he met with Wimber. And there was such huge affection between John Paul and John Wimber and how Wimber loved him so. And Wimber had, uh, had told John Paul Jackson, he said that if, if God would get him off this deathbed, that he promised that he would, have a, he would have a conference with John Paul Jackson, Larry Randolph, and Paul Kane, and apologize to the church for the way, you know, with the whole Toronto thing and how he had suppressed uh, the moving of the spirit there. And so, so that was really powerful. That was... So it was, like I said, an amazing event. So after we had that event with Doug, I called up Streams Ministries that next Monday morning. They had a whole list of classes they were offering. I said, I want every course you have. If it's going to be half as good as what we just experienced with Doug, I want my church to have everything you guys had to offer. So we just, we just began having class after class after class. At this point, I still haven't met John Paul Jackson. But all of his people, they're, they're out in New Hampshire, and they're flying all the way to Kenwood, Washington. Not an easy trip. And they would come out, and we were just so grateful that they would come, that this was our hearts. We're going to treat them like gold. 
And so they would come, and we'd put them in the best hotel, we'd feed them the best food, and we'd give them an honorarium, we would bless them in every way we could, could think of, and just so grateful for them coming. And, and so their classes were, were a blast. Um, so we had many events. In, um, that was September 2003, the first streams class. By June 2004, we're going to have another big conference. It was probably the largest conference that we ever hosted, and John Paul Jackson had agreed to come. He said that um, so many of his people would come back after spending time at our church on the weekend and, and speak so glowingly of us. He said that I have to go out and see for myself uh, what's going on there. Never underestimate the power of hospitality. All, all we did... We had, we, had, we had very little to give, but we were kind, and we were loving, and we offered our people great hospitality. And so John Paul would come with Larry Randolph and Paul Keith Davis, and Ray Hughes came with a whole band of people and did worship, and it, it was amazing. Now, a couple of months before that event, we're at some other conference. Before that, I went to, but before that, I went to a writer's conference at Strings. It was their first writers conference and uh, since I was in the midst of writing my first book, thought it'd be a good idea to go. And so I went and uh, there's lots of people, about a hundred people I think. But they had it set up where we were on these round tables. And uh, throughout the weekend John Paul would make a point of going to each table and introducing himself. Because we didn't know who he was. <laughs> and he shook all our hands, you know, and you know to say, ask us questions. So, you know, in a situation like that, you meet somebody, you know, especially someone like him who meets thousands of people all the time, you figure, he's not going to ever remember me. And then we go so, to this conference. So we go to this conference. I don't even remember what it was at this point. But this is before we had him. I've not actually met him personally yet. I know about him. He knows about me, but we haven't met. Um, and so we're at this conference, and I, I like to get to things early. I don't really like being late. And so I'm sitting in, in the auditorium, the, the sanctuary, where the meetings to take place, and John Paul's kind of up in front, and there are different people talking to him. And I'm thinking, well, I could go up and introduce myself, say, hey, you're going to be at our church next month. And, and I thought to myself, you know, there's no, I don't really need to do that. You know, um, Everybody wants a piece of him. He doesn't need one more person pulling on him. I, I, I won't bother him now. And I saw I didn't. I just let it go. So we had the morning session. We break for lunch. And because we've had so many of these people from Streams Ministries to our church, we've got lots of friends now. We know lots of people. We all go out to lunch. And we're at a table. There's got to be, I don't know, 12 of us sitting at this really long table. And um, we're just talking back and forth. And the next thing I know, I feel these two hands on my shoulders. And I turn around. And there's John Paul Jackson standing right behind me. He's come over to introduce himself to me. I'll absolutely confess, I was totally starstruck at that point. I was like, I was shocked. I didn't expect to see him. I didn't expect that he would come over and introduce himself to me. And I'm like, the words that come out of my mouth is, oh, Yeah. He didn't say those words, but that's what he acted like. Yeah, Nadine is sitting right next to me. I never introduced her to him. I was just like, So that was my actual first, you know, face to face personal encounter. With John Paul Jackson, I was a total geek. I just geeked out completely on it. So about a month or so later, he came out and did the conference with us. And I remember the first night of the conference, um, there's hundreds. We had to rent a facility and staging and lights and sound systems. It was like a $40,000 event. We had a church of 75 people. We'd throw in this $40,000 event. There had to be, I don't know, five or 600 people that first night. And because we're hosting it, I get to... I get to do announcements, I get to, you know, open up the session. And so I open up the first session, and I do what I know how to do at that point in my journey. And, and so um, as we open up in prayer, you know, I'm binding and casting out every dark and evil thing I could think of. You know, I rebuke this, I rebuke that. And we go on with worship, we go on to rest of the service, and it was pretty good. Now, when you do an event like that, there's usually what they call a green room. There's, there's a room where the speakers and the musicians can go afterwards and, you can just relax a little bit together, maybe compare notes, have, have some snacks or a bite to eat. So we go back there, and, and John Paul's there, and, and I, I, want he, I want to know what he thinks. You know, I'm all excited about this event, and I'm really hoping I'm going to get some attaboys. You know? 
And so, so what'd you think? Hey, how, how do you think it went tonight? How do you think things are going? And he says, well, you know, it was pretty good. He says, you know, it would have been nice if Jesus had top billing. I was like, if Jesus, what do you mean? He's like, well, when you start the meeting, you rebuke this evil thing and cast out that thing and bound, bound this other dark, dark thing. He says, you know what I've discovered? He said, he said, I've noticed that if you ask him to come and you welcome him, all the darkness goes away. Oh, I got to tell you, that was a profound lesson to me. He says, one of, one of his famous quotes is, what you focus on, you make room for. What you fear, you empower. And I got to tell you, that, that was... Just that little statement that it was so life-giving to me. It altered my perception of spiritual warfare. He says, if you turn on the lights, the darkness goes away. He said, just welcome Jesus. And I've never done, I don't think I've ever opened a meeting like that way again. And so that was a real uh, powerful life lesson for me. So that was in June 2004. By spring 2005, we had done so much work with, um, with Streams Ministries, what they called their Institute for Spiritual Development. This was the wing of the ministry that did all their training courses. So by spring of 2005, they asked me to become a, an overseer of one of their training centers, the one that they had in the Pacific Northwest of the, of the U.S. And so that was a high honor. I was just finding myself getting more and more connected, more and more involved with, um, uh, with Streams in, in a whole, whole lot of ways. By, by June of 2005, John Paul came out to our church, uh, came out to our city, and at a French church, um, he actually ordained me. I think we have a picture of that. So. Yeah, I had no idea that he was going to, you know, knight me too. So. I had hair then, man. I had like actual hair, and it, was, it wasn't great. And I'm wearing a suit. You probably want to hold on to a picture like that because there aren't too many of those that exist. But when John Paul would do an ordination, he would use a sword and actually knight you as he would ordain you. And so uh, that's what we looked like that night. And, uh, and so that was on uh, June 12, 2005. A week later, it was Father's Day. And Nadine and my kids chipped in and purchased for me this... Uh, a replica is an identical replica of the sword that John Paul used. His handle is black. I, that's right. His is black and mine is red, but the same sword. I remember bringing the sword to church that Father's Day, and I said to all the other men, I said, I don't care what you got for Father's Day. Mine's better. <laughs> <laughs> and so this has, been a, you know, this has been a treasure ever since. The thing's heavy. It's not sharp on the edges, but I remember one time we had, a, boy, we had some beautiful girls teenage girls in our church in Washington. And uh, for a long time, God just kept the boys away. But you got that many beautiful teenage girls, the boys are going to show up. It's just inevitable. So we all, suddenly we had all these boys showing up. So I lined them up in front of the church one Sunday, you know, stomach, you know, back to stomach, and four or five of them, I, and I took out my sword. I said, I can put this through all of you. <laughs> Be good to those girls. Don't hurt the girls. All, all the dads are pretty happy with me. Right? So yeah, so this, uh, this was a great uh, Father's Day present. And it's because uh, Nadine went and found it online. Uh, see, because John Paul was coming out, and he was going to ordain. A few, there was like five of us, so six of us he ordained. And so he ships the sword out ahead of time. Because, you know, it's like you can carry this on a plane nowadays. So it gets delivered to my house in this cool box. And my first, when the box shows up, this wooden box, my first was, man, I want to open it up and... Because I'd heard about the sword, I'd never seen it. I'll open a box and take a look at this thing. And so I had my, my screw gun out, and I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't open it. Nobody told me I could open it. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be appropriate. Then a few days later, I get an email from John Paul's assistant. He says, he's asking if you would please make sure there's no fingerprints and it's all polished nicely. Yes, I can open the box. <laughs> so I got to open the box and take a, a real close look at it. And so Nadine found it, and I had it for Father's Day the, the next week. I have an awesome life. That was 2005. Um, in 2005, I, um, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And it, um, it, was, uh, it was a devastating blow. Um, I knew nothing about cancer. Uh, no one close to me. I never walked through um, any family members dealing with it. Friends, but, but not family members. 
And so I was so ignorant uh, to what goes on with cancer. And, and there's weird spiritual dynamics when, you, when you're diagnosed with a horrible disease like that. And so I'm really wrestling. I, I'm, I'm really thinking to myself in 2005, what did I do? You know, what happened? What did I do wrong? Why? Why? The why question was just, was just haunting me. And thinking, what happened that I would, you know, I would be diagnosed with this terrible, incurable form of cancer. And so John Paul had come to town for another event. Maybe it was the, the ordination weekend. He, we would see him much more frequently at this point. And, and um, I remember John Paul and a bunch of friends coming around and praying over me. And John Paul prophesied this. He, he, he wanted me to know that the cancer was in my body not by invitation, but by intrusion. He said, Tom, I want you to know that you didn't open the door and invite this in. It jumped over the back fence and broke in the back door. He said, this is an attack from the enemy. This isn't the consequences of some, some sin or some decision on your life. I can't tell you what a relief that was. It took such, such a, it's hard enough being sick, but if you're sick and you think you're the blame for it, it, it was crushing to me. And, and his kindness and ministering to, to us that day just lifted a, an incredible weight of burden. In, um, in July 2005, uh, they, John Paul had begun what he called the Association of Bridge Churches. And um, they, they had planted three churches up in New Hampshire, New England area, down in Boston. And, um, and the church that we pastored in Washington, it was, it was the first church that they adopted. We were the fourth bridge church. I had taken the church from being a a vineyard into the bridge. It was where relationships were. Relationships drive, drive me. And so I think we did right things right at the time. So we became the fourth bridge church. And there had been a meeting down in Birmingham, Alabama, a friend, Michael French's church, and it was really the birth of the Association of Bridge Churches. And I remember at one point, they're doing this Q&A session. John Paul is up on the platform sitting like in a nice overstuffed leather chair with a with a microphone, somebody sitting next to him, I don't remember who at this point, but he's just fielding questions from the room and the concept of the whole idea of the bridge churches had already been raised. And I remember raising my hand and I said to him, so do you have any plans of planting a bridge, a bridge church in New York City? Because I'm from New York. Now I'm pastoring out in Washington. I have no desire to go back to New York, but I love New York. It's where I'm from. And so I, I remember asking him the question and he's holding his microphone and he just pauses. And he looks at me with those piercing eyes. He offers no other information. He just says, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, give me more, give me more. And that's all, he, that's all he would say. Little would we know that years later, not only would there be a bridge church on Long Island, in New York City area, but that we would pastor it. Right? I'm thinking he might have saw something that day. was not willing to tell me more than he felt a release to tell me. So later that first year, July 2005, with the, they had a, a meeting of all the um, bridge churches, and they had to select board members. Uh, John Paul was on the board. Um, a friend of his, Greg Mapes, was the president of Streams Ministry. He was on the board for Association of Bridge Churches. But they, had to, they wanted to elect other board members, and they wanted to be pastors who were in the organization. So I remember being at this meeting. And, um, and the thought of being on the board, it never occurred to me, except for, well, you know, they're, they're all praying about it, and, and they're discussing it as a group. There's maybe a hundred of us in the room. And there was, there was one gentleman named Bill Frisbee, um, who, had, who was pastoring one of the New England churches. And it was like, it was a no-brainer. If there was going to be an, another guy on the board, Bill, Bill was the guy. Of course, Bill had to be one of the guys on and so his name was mentioned first, and unanimously they said yes. And then, uh, uh, and then they said, well, who else? And I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> they, they're going to ask me. And so I just kind of went like into hibernation mode. I just kind of sat there and just ducked my head down low, thinking if they can't see me, maybe they, they won't pick me. And then one of the... Uh, one of the guys in the back, Ernie Freeman was his name. He was one of the teachers that come out to our churches bunches of times. Ernie really liked me. Brilliant man. And uh, Ernie said, Tom Zawacki, in a real a deep voice. And everybody agreed. 
uh, together. I was blown away. It was it was another great honor and you know big big surprise to me. But I tell you all this, it was just layer after layer of connection to to the ministry. And so so that's October 2006. I'm a board member. In 2007, uh, Streams Ministries was in the process of moving down to uh, Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area, Texas. And so we would have uh, board meetings for the different parts of Streams that I was connected to. And so I was flying down to Dallas two, three, sometimes four times a year for, for different meetings. And so I'm down there for, um, for this one board meeting, and John Paul hadn't sold his house in New Hampshire yet, so... We were all staying in this hotel. And again, I like to be early, so I'm down in the lobby waiting for everybody to show up. And John Paul comes down, and this shirt that I'm wearing today, he's got, he's got this shirt. This is his shirt. And he has it in his hands. And he says, um, this is for you. And he gives me the shirt. No explanation. He just gives it to me. Now, if you've seen John Paul, he's much more slender than I am. And I'm not as big as I used to be. So I remember being honored and thinking, wow, that was really nice of him. It wasn't like he went out and bought another shirt. And so I think this would be a nice gift for Tom. This was his shirt. If you, you see pictures of him, especially from the you know, 2007 time frame, he was, he was into this whole Hawaiian shirt thing. It's very much a John Wimber homage. I mean, John Wimber used to love to wear Hawaiian shirts. And John Paul loved John Wimber. That's, he would, these are the kind of shirts he would wear. And so he gave me the shirt, and I was just, you know, blown away by the, you know, the graciousness of the gift, and and kept it, and I tried it on, it wouldn't fit me, and it just, it was like, you know, I kind of felt like the Hulk, I'm going to rip this thing if I, <laughs> if I try to button it and actually move. And so, uh, it was a couple of nights ago, after John Paul had passed, it's like, I know I still have that shirt, we've moved, I don't know, four, three, four times since then, and, but I've taken this shirt everywhere with me, and, um, and so I thought, I'm going to just spend some time in prayer and maybe, maybe I'll try that shirt on. And uh, it fits me now. You know? I'm not sure what that means, but it's kind of cool. And so Nadine and I ended up, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about John Paul today. I'm going to wear the shirt he gave me. So that was in uh, 2007. Did you want to add something to it? Uh, funny story. In, um, January 2008, John Paul really loves sports. Can you hold that? It's heavy. Okay. January 2008, divisional playoffs, NFL divisional playoffs. I'm at home in Washington, and I'm watching my New York Giants play John Paul Jackson's Dallas Cowboys uh, in the divisional playoffs. And it's a great game. And by halftime, the game is tied 14-14. And so I know John Paul's watching the game. I mean, he'd have to, I don't know, he'd have to be in another country. But I, I kind of knew he was home. I'm thinking if he's home, he's watching the game. So at halftime, I take out my phone, I give him a call, and he answers the phone. Without even introducing myself to him, I said, I'll make you a bet. And he goes, sure. I said, um, I said here's the deal. I said, if your Cowboys beat my Giants at our pastor's conference next week, what you have to do is buy a Giants I said, oh, if your Cowboys beat my Giants, I said, well, all I have to do is I have to purchase a Cowboys jersey and wear it at the Pastors Conference. I says, but if my Giants beat your Cowboys, then you have to buy a Giants jersey and you have to wear it at the Pastors Conference. He made some snide comment about me being able to find a Cowboys jersey that would actually fit me. <laughs> but then, sure, you know, actually he'll take the bet. Well, lo and behold... <laughs> My awesome Giants beat his lowly Cowboys. Kate was. That was a great game. And uh, I think we have a picture for this too. He, um, he, he was a good sport. He went out and he bought, he bought this jersey, the Giants jersey, and uh, he wore it at the Passes Conference, and there he is ready to give me a, a shot to the jaw. After the, it was a really good sport about it. Everybody he had it on for like two, two seconds. And then he gave it to us. I, I really don't think he wanted a Giants jersey hanging in his closet. I, 
So he gave, us, he gave me the jersey as a gift, and, and he, he said, he should sign the jersey. I was like, I'm not going to ask him to sign. He said, I'll, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. So she goes and asks him, and, and so he signs it and says. He took his time, though. He's like, yeah, you really want me to do I said, yeah, sign the jersey. He wants the medal. <laughs> <laughs> and so he signs it and says, may the glory of God be seen in many ways. And with his signature, uh, John Paul Jackson. And so. This has been a nice, uh, nice thing to hold on to. And just a little side note, <clears throat> for the Super Bowl when we were playing the Patriots who uh, had a perfect season until that point, <laughs> there was like a couple minutes left and Tyrese caught the ball on his helmet. That I said, oh, where's the, where's the jersey? I'm going to put it on. It's going to be a lucky jersey. We're going to turn this game around. I had the jersey on and we're watching this game and I kept Come on, Jersey! <laughs> <laughs> and we won. The Giants won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, I don't know if it was the Jersey, but it was funny. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, there was like two and a half minutes left to go, and the Giants are getting the ball, and they need a touchdown to win, and Nadine says, Where's the Jersey? It's upstairs in the closet. He says, Go get it. So, he gets it. She wears the Jersey. The Giants won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Jersey's the reason why, but I'm just saying, you know. And so, uh, later that year, in October 2008, John Holt. In that, in that summer, John Paul had invited me to come uh, leave our church and come on staff with him at, at Streams Ministries to, to um, oversee a, a network of about 30 churches, uh, the Association of Bridge Churches. He Can needs... I tell a funny story before? Yeah. Before that, there was some event um, in Vancouver, Washington, and John Paul invited us to join. It was a um, protocol ceremony with First Nations, and it was... You know, quite an honor to be invited. And uh, he was going to be speaking uh, in our church after that event. So we went, we drove to Vancouver, and he was going to ride back with us. So it was a long ride from Vancouver to Tri-Cities. And so we picked him up, and we're in the car. And, you know, Tom, <clears throat> my very serious husband, is always very serious. And I'm in the back seat. Not serious at all. And at this time, we had already been teaching the classes. We um, went to, you know, training. We were teaching other people how to teach his uh, dream classes and everything. And so there was a lull in the conversation. And I, and I said to John Paul, I said, John Paul, you know, I really enjoy teaching your classes. They're really good stuff. I just have one problem with it. Now, at this point, when I say I have one problem with it, Tom's is going, oh, my God. What <laughs> I was wishing I had a James Bond car with like the eject button, you know. But see, I would say funny things to John Paul all the time. He thought I was quite amusing. Right. When we were, we were working there uh -oh. on Friday afternoons. <laughs> John Paul's one of the hottest working men I ever knew. He, he was just a working machine. Yes, and he would run. So uh, <laughs> I would take Tom, and he was going through chemo. And uh, so I would take Tom, drop him off in the morning, and go pick him up. Drop me off at the office. I'd work all day. Yeah, he'd work all day, and I'd come pick him up in the evening when he was done with work. And sometimes I'd help out in the office and volunteer. And so this one Friday, I don't know what happened to me. I went to say goodbye to John Paul, and I said, "Have a nice weekend." He says, "By the way, what are you going to do for fun this weekend, John Paul?" He says, oh, "I'm going to go do a run tomorrow." I said, okay, let me rephrase the question. What are you going to do that normal people think is fun? <laughs> you know, like a movie, dinner with your beautiful wife, you know, something like that. So then it became this running joke that every Friday I go, pop my head in and say, have a nice weekend, John Paul, what are you going to do for fun? And he'd look at me. <laughs> he had to come up with answers because that would have been We moved to Texas in October of uh, 2008, and... Um, and uh, it, he had just moved his ministry down. He had had a 65 people on his staff up in New Hampshire. He's moved down to uh, Texas, and it's him and two staff members. And I, I came on before Robert. I think. Yes. I think I was the. I think I was, you know, including John Paul. I was the fourth staff member, and then they began adding other people from there. So it was really a whole like reboot for the ministry. 
And uh, we're busy. We're working really, really hard, you know, every day doing lots of stuff. And uh, so we're only there about a month, and it's Thanksgiving. Uh, U.S. Thanksgiving is at the end of November. And, and so they, um, the Jacksons, John, Paul, and Diane, invited us to have Thanksgiving dinner with his family down in Waxahachie, Waxahachie Texas, where uh, John Paul's parents were and his uh, brother. And so for that Thanksgiving, we got to spend it with the Jackson family. I thought it was so kind of them to invite us. And so um, I'm sitting at the Thanksgiving table. I got John Paul Jackson on one side of me, his father on the other. And then we had, uh, we just had a wonderful time, you know, enjoying, you know, special holiday occasion with his family. We, uh, we had a fun time. We had the whole staff over for dinner. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I, um, I like to cook. Well, I didn't know that. And so um, I decided it would be nice if I invited the staff, which was only um, three other couples, to our apartment for dinner. And so um, I make a nice dinner. I put everything out. And I'm taking the main portion and putting it on the table. And it's not putting... Uh, what I made was barbecued boneless ribs that were cooking for that hours. Awesome. And I put it on the table. As I put it on the table, this thought occurred to me. Did you just make barbecue ribs for Texans? You did. They were all Texans. They were born here. <laughs> and you just made ribs for them. What was I thinking? I thought I'd like... Should have gone Italian. I should have gone Italian. What was I thinking making barbecue ribs? I was not thinking. And so I had a panic moment until... <laughs> They all tasted the ribs, and when they went for seconds, I go, I want barbecue ribs in Texas. <laughs> that was funny. So we had a good time in Texas. We were there only a short time. When John Paul brought me on, my, my hope was that I would be able to function as a pastor of the pastors. That was my heart. I wanted to love them. I know how difficult the job could be. And I thought that Nadine and I would probably do some traveling, go to the different bridge churches, minister to the pastors, minister to their wives, speak into the lives of the churches. And I think that's probably what I was best suited for. Unfortunately, because it was a reboot and the staff was so small, the administrative demands were just enormous. They were just overwhelming. And so... The time, the most of the time that I was there, I found myself locked in an office doing exclusively uh, administrative work. And after six months, it's like, oh my goodness, I miss the people stuff. I miss, I miss the relational stuff. I miss, I miss the pastoral side of ministry. And um, and so, but you, I remember another significant life lesson. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. And so um, John Paul's going to speak at a conference a few hours away in Texas, somewhere west of where we were. And, um, and most of the staff was going to go, but we needed somebody to stay behind a man in the office. And so I agreed to stay behind. And so they leave like on a Wednesday or a Thursday. They're not going to be back till Monday. So I'm in the office by myself, and I'm, and I'm getting these messages from people asking, how come I haven't responded to their email? I'm thinking, that, that's not like me. I'm really pretty good at getting back to people with emails. And so after I do a little research, what I had done, I'd gotten an email address that was, that was I don't know, Bridge Church, Tom Zawacki or Tom at BridgeChurches.com, something like that. And I didn't want to have all these different mail servers open, so I tried to configure it so it would just come to my uh, Gmail account. They'll all come in one place, and I'll just manage it that way. Well, I didn't do it right. I, I did it so that I could send mail out from that email address, but I didn't configure it properly so email would come in. So these, now all these guys just leave for this. This epiphany comes to me that I realize I, I haven't been getting these emails, and I go and look for them, and I find that there's 103 emails that I haven't answered. And a bunch of them are from John Paul. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't believe all this stuff has been sitting out there. And the thought occurs to me, you don't know what you don't know. So I worked free, feverishly that day and the next day to get all the emails, John Paul's first, get all those emails cleaned up as quickly as I can. The next day, one of the other pastors, uh, one of the bridge churches, he's come to town. Uh, his father lived in Texas, and he's coming to visit his dad. And he wanted to see the new offices where John Paul was. And I remember telling him, I said, hey, you can come by. I said, but I'm the only one here. I said, I'll, I'll give you the five-cent tour of the building. I said, but um, 
I bet there's nobody, nobody, John Paul's not here. If they come, they really want to talk to him, and he's just not here. And he says, yeah, I want to come by anyway. So he comes, and we have, um, we have a really good discussion for an hour or so about the bridge churches. And he's, asking, he's asking some great questions. He's asking stuff about health insurance for the pastors and retirement plans and, and you know, this type of uh, um, you know, outreach strategy and branding and, and uh, you know, the website for the, for the bridge churches. And he's asking all these questions. And I remember by the time he left, the same thought came to me. Tom, you don't know what you don't know. And there were administrative needs that the bridge churches had that I didn't have by myself the skills. Now, if I had, if I had an army of graphic designers and, and uh, an administrative secretary and some financial people that I could delegate these things to, sure, I could do that. But we didn't have all, all that. It was, still, it was still building. And so I remember going home and telling Nadine that night, I said, honey, um, I said, I don't think I'm the right guy for this job. I mean, I, I love being here with John Paul, but I just don't think that I'm the right guy suited for this job. And, and uh, at this time, there was an opening at the Bridge Church in New York. The pastor had been in touch with me for months, and we'd been seeing who we could find to fill his position. I'm talking to people, I'm ministering to him and praying for him and praying for that church and trying to find candidates who might be able to go and, and take the church. And I remember that night going home to Nadine, I said, you know, honey, I think we're supposed to take the Bridge Church in New York. She's like, you think so? I said, well, we can pray about it. I said, but I really think, I think that's what God would have us do. She said, well, you're going to have to talk to John Paul. I said, all right. Well, he comes back on Monday from, from this conference, and uh, we, have, we, have, we have a staff meeting every morning. And at the staff meeting, I said, John Paul, there are some things I need to talk to you about. I had some, I had some work things I need to talk to him about. And then I wanted, I wanted to tell him the whole, I don't know, well, I don't know story. And I think maybe Nidhi and I should take the New York church. And so, um, this is Monday. He says, okay, he says, um, he says I'll let you know when I'm free. This, this office was so busy. And I'm just down the hall from him. My office is probably no further than, than that door over there. And he's not free to speak to me until Thursday afternoon. Right? Late Thursday afternoon, he comes by. He says, all right, come on in. We can talk now. So I go into his office and sit down. We go through all the, all the administrative work stuff and... I tell him about it, I tell him about the emails and apologize for not having that configured right and, and some other stuff that was on, on my plate. And uh, it was kind of a lull in the conversation. And, uh, and he laughs. He says, oh, he says, I thought you were coming in here to tell me you wanted to take the New York church. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to him, well, <laughs> and he just starts laughing. So before I could tell him, you know, that we're thinking maybe this is something we'd like to do, he tells me that, that this past weekend, as they're driving back from the conference back home, he says he's in the car driving, and the Lord tells him, he said, Tom's going to take the New York church. And he, God told him before, before I could tell him. And so we were able to leave Texas with great blessing. Oh, they threw us a really nice uh, Great dinner. party and yeah. gifts and... Oh, kind of. Prayed over us, right? Yeah, prophesied. John Paul prophesied over us before we left. Yeah. Um, my first book had just come out and um, at that time. And I remember thinking in my head, not even telling Tom or anybody, this thought was, okay, you wrote one book. Uh, the only thing you're ever going to write. <laughs> I hope it's good. <laughs> you know? I'm thinking, I have no ideas in my head for any other stories. That's it. I'm just a one you know, one hit wonder or something, you know, and uh, when, when John Paul uh, prayed over us, he, he looked at me and he prophesied that there were many books in me and um, many stories to tell. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you said it, I'll, I'll, I'll believe that. And then, um, you know, I finished my second one just now and um, that's out and I working on a third, so I guess he, he... It was an accurate word. It was an accurate word, yeah. Even though I didn't quite buy into it at the time. I remember him prophesying over me. Yeah, when you were with John Paul, and he, there were times when you're just together and you're praying, and it's just like any other guy praying. It's just somebody's praying for him. But then there's this moment where he kind of shifts into this other mode, and it's not just John Paul the man who's speaking or praying. We've gone into a prophetic mode, and I don't know how else to describe it, but when, when you're there, you can see the shift in him. There's something on his facial expression. The atmosphere just kind of shifts a bit. 
And uh, I remember him prophesying that when we went to the new church, that we were going to do things that were outside of the box. <laughs> they, they like to do things, you know, they were used to doing things inside of the box. And God was sending us there to do things outside of the box. Go figure, you know. Um, you work in the office with John Paul Jackson. There's such a strong anointing that's on him um, that and he would come to work, and sometimes he'd be in his office by himself all day. But if he was in a good mood, the atmosphere in the whole office was light. If he was you know, dealing with something heavy or serious, or if he was unhappy about something, man, oh, man, without him saying anything, you could just feel the difference uh, in the atmosphere uh, in the room. Um, so we did. We, in May 2009, we, we pastored the Bridge Church on Long Island. By February 2012, we merged that church back into the vineyard, and you guys have told that story before. Just a couple of miscellaneous things, and we'll finish up with a little John Paul video. Um, most of the time, if you're in an event with John Paul Jackson, you know, he's the 800-pound gorilla in the room, right? Everybody kind of pays attention to him, whatever he says goes, and everybody's pretty much okay with it, with one exception. If Bob Jones was there, he was a 800-pound, or the 900-pound gorilla in the room. And so one of the last times, I think it was the last time, we were with both Bob Jones and John Paul together. There was a conference down in the Boston area. And again, because we had relationship with all these people, they had meals off to the side. They invited us in. And so we're sitting at this big round table. Bob Jones is there. John Paul Jackson's there. A bunch of other people. And Bob Jones is telling John Paul Jackson stories. He's telling stories from when John Paul Jackson was a young man. He's saying things in front of John Paul. Nobody else was <laughs> saying John Paul. Teasing him, making fun of him, poking at him. And it was hilarious because it was probably the only person on the planet that John Paul would, <laughs> would have accepted him from. So we had, a, we had a great time listening to So That, that was fun. It was hilarious, right? Um, John Paul Jackson just profoundly anointed. This is an extremely gifted man. I can remember different events. Um, at the end of it, they would pray for impartation, and they would go around. You've seen me do this. You put your hands up, and he would put his hands on you, and he'd pray for impartation. Always left a huge impact. I remember being able to interpret dreams so much more effectively and hear from God so much clearly after those, those times of uh, impartation. John Paul was famous for saying a few things. He said, you know, what you focus on, you make room for. What you fear, you empower. So I want to focus on a God who loves us lavishly and extravagantly. I want to focus on a God who's rich uh, in mercy. And um, let's make more room for that. One of the hallmarks of John Paul's teaching was that character was more important than gifting. It's such a profound lesson. He says, that if, if you have more gifting than character, it's going to crush you. You just won't, you won't have what's necessary to carry the weight of it. And, uh, and the significance and necessity of developing strong godly character. And one of the things he said years ago that has stuck to me, I'm not sure he, he's as well known for saying it, but he said, um, he said, you're vulnerable to deception when there's something you want. If there's a want to in there, if there's something that you really want, you want it really bad, you could, you'll go a long way to talking yourself into whatever it is to get what you want. You'll, you'll blow through yellow lights and even red lights, thinking they're green lights because you want it that bad. You're vulnerable to deception when there's something you want that's stayed with me. John Paul Jackson uh, has impacted my life. Um, dream interpretation, understanding visions, prophetic evangelism, these things will be part of my life for the rest of my life. One of the practical tips when I was getting lots of visions early on and I was seeing vastly more than I understood and I remember at one meal together sharing them with John Paul. I said, you know, what do I do? What do I do with this stuff? He says, he told me this, he gave me this really good advice. He said, write it down. He says, not just write it down. He said, write it all down with as much uh, detail as you can. He said, because some of this stuff's not going to make sense to you until later on. Great advice and I've and I've adhered to that. Um, because of John Paul and his ministry, I've just built friendships with just some absolutely amazing people. Um, the benefit of being on staff there for six months, the, it, it left me changed. And I, I know many other people who served with him would say the same thing. And, and when I left there, this is what I discovered. 
I like me. And that's no small thing. Not too many of us like ourselves. I realized that I like who God made me to be. I, I realized I didn't want to be John Paul Jackson. I really want to be Tom Zawacki. I like who God made me to be. I feel like I fit in my own skin. I like the way I believe what I believe and how I do what I do. I left there with a much stronger sense of my identity as a man and my identity in, in the calling. Um, that was priceless. It was really a huge benefit that came out of, of those six months. I've been looking through old emails. I got tons and tons of emails between John Paul and I. One of the final emails that he wrote this is what he wrote to me. Um, he says, it's good to hear from you. I so appreciate you and Nadine and the call of God on your life. I'm smiling and I'm holding out my arms to you. May God bless the work of your hands and may you have many more visitations from heaven. I do miss you guys. Blessings, John Paul Jackson. Leaves a, a deep impact. One last story. Early on in John Paul's ministry, when he was still in Kansas City, um, people would travel to Kansas City to come and let these prophets speak to him. And I, I'm pretty sure it was the Anglican vicar, David Sykes. Um, he wrote the classic book, Some uh, Said It Thundered. Uh, about his time at the Kansas City Prophets. He was down there and he had a dream. And John Paul, among all the prophetic guys there, uh, John Paul was known as the dream guy. And so they bring this Anglican vicar, vicar to John Paul. John Paul uh, listens to the dream and then interprets it for him. And it's incredibly accurate. It just ministers uh, to David in a powerful way. And he says to John Paul, he said, how did you do that? And John Paul said, well, it was God. And he says, I, I understand it was God. He said, but how? Did you do it? What was the process you went through? And John Paul said, I don't know, I just did it. And David Sykes says to him, he said, well, that's too bad. He said, because when you die, your gift will die with you. And it just it found a place to land in John Paul's heart. He realized he needed to study his gift so that he could answer the question, how do you do this? So that he would know how it is he does the things he did. And so that set him on a course where he would. He would, he would spend the next 30 years studying his gift and then putting it out in a way, in a practical way, so that it could be given to other people. And he did that so effectively. And so I believe that John Paul Jackson could rest in peace because his gift did not die with him. It didn't die with him. It's been passed on to many, many other sons and daughters uh, in the last 30 or 40 years. And I consider myself <clears throat> privileged, honored, to be one of many. John 12, 24 says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I believe with all my heart that God's not going to pass John Paul's mantle to another man or another woman. I think he's going to raise up a generation. There'll be hundreds. There'll be thousands of people who carry a piece of what God had put on his life. And that, you know, there'll be this incredible ripple effect that goes forth. As what God did in one man will be now done through the lives of thousands and thousands of people. Lots of people have been sharing stuff online this week about John Paul, and there's this short little two-minute video where he, where he prays a blessing. And I thought it would be really good to uh, end this message you know, with that video.
That means you. Therefore, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And from me, from my heart, as a father and a grandfather, I'd like to bless you in this way. May you reach the purpose for which you were created. May you have courage above your peers. May you have more passion for the things of God than others think is necessary. May you dream more than others think is practical. May you expect more than others think is possible. May you choose wisely without earthly bias. You have people to influence that you've not yet met. You have lives to change that are waiting for your arrival. You are strategically placed wherever God takes you by His grand design, just so you can become everything He made you to be. That place is the place you can grow best. That place is the place where you can be most fruitful. The place where the future is changed because of your presence. May you see vistas that others don't even know exist. May you see God in every petal of every flower and every blade of grass. For each of them are designed by His hand. May you bless your children and may they become giants in the faith under the mighty hand of God. You won't fail. You were made by God to be here for such a time as this. Father, I thank you for the life of John Paul Jackson and the impact that it's had on, on my life and so many others. Lord, I pray that you would comfort his family today, that you would be with his, his wife, Diane, with his sons, that they would experience the Holy Spirit as the comforter. Lord, for the Streams family, for all the lives that have been touched because of his, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them also in this time of mourning. And I pray... That as this single seed passes, Lord, that you would, that there would rise up an abundant harvest of prophetic voices of anointed men and women throughout the land. I'm going to ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for um, indulging me today. Enjoy the rest of uh, your Sunday. I hope we don't get much more snow this week. And uh, I'll see you throughout the week.